Hello and welcome to the latest and probably last quadcast of 2021. I am your host, John McAlevey. If you are new to the podcast, while it is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, it is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Think of the quadcast as your 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. I really hope you had a chance to listen to my last show, Episode 9 of Season 2, starring Robert Paler. It was appropriately titled, You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. Robert's inspirational story of complete paralysis on the rugby field following a hit in the 2017 National Championship game to walking across the stage to receive his University of California at Berkeley degree some four years later is one you will want to hear. And speaking of content, or contento, you are in for a treat today, as my guest, Yannick Benjamin, is an accomplished sommelier, restaurateur, athlete, advocate for the disabled community, and business creator. As I mentioned at the close of last week's show, today we are going out for dinner and I'm buying. That is because Mr. Benjamin is the co-founder of Contento in East Harlem. The barrier-free restaurant, which opened in 2021, is proudly powered and operated by individuals living with disabilities. In June, Benjamin was interviewed by Forbes and spoke of the restaurant thusly, quote, Contento's staff is fully educated on how to best serve guests with disabilities. Additionally, the restaurant offers aspiring hospitality workers living with disabilities a place to learn, gain experience, and find work opportunities. In addition to fine dining, the space will utilize its location to offer enriching programs that will enhance the quality of life for people living with disabilities, as well as marginalized communities. The philosophy is simple. Leave the doors open behind you so that you won't be the last one in, end quote. How great does that sound? However, before welcoming Mr. Benjamin to the show, I have a quick restaurant story of my own to relay. I was discharged from Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in late January of 1993, and my friends really wanted to get me out of the house for a bite to eat and a beer or three or four, haha. My good friend since grammar school, Dennis Milton, picked me up one night, and we headed off to the office in Summit. As a newly disabled 25-year-old man, this would be my first foray back into the real world. At the time, I was walking pretty good, but because of the level of my injury and the central cord syndrome diagnosis, I still had very little to no use of my arms, hands, and fingers. Because of this, my occupational therapists had worked with me and sent me home with some eating aids, if you will. What I had, which I brought with me that night, was something called Dysum and a plate guard. Dyson is basically a circular rubber mat, which you place underneath the plate so it doesn't slide across the table, and a plate guard is a piece of plastic that bends to fit around the circumference of the plate. What I forgot, though, was the plate that accompanied the guard. As you can imagine, I was feeling a little self-conscious being out for the first time, but was happy to be out and about again. Well, all of that was about to change when the dinner arrived. 
My friend Dennis put the plate guard around the dinner plate and three bites into the meal. It went flying off, knocking over both of our beers and causing quite the ruckus. Needless to say, I was humiliated at first as all eyes turned to our table, but I was able to laugh it off with my friend and our waitress. I learned my lesson that day that plate guards are not one size fits all. And luckily that goes for restaurants as well, as we are about to find out from the aforementioned Yannick Benjamin. And that, my friends, is next. Did you know that one in every 50 Americans is living with some form of paralysis? The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation wants to change that. They are dedicated to discovering cures for spinal cord injury, by funding innovative research and improving the quality of life and health for all people living with paralysis. Make a difference, change a life, and redefine what it means to live with paralysis by joining the Reeve Foundation today. For more information, visit ChristopherReeve.org. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Today's care, tomorrow's cure. And we are back. And at this point, it is my pleasure to welcome in my guest, Yannick Benjamin. Yannick, thank you for coming on the quadcast. Thank you for having me. It's a real honor and a pleasure. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. And what I usually Mm -hmm. like to do with my guests is because we know that these spinal cord injuries that we've sustained do not define Mm -hmm. who we were and who we are. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where did you grow up and what were some things that you did in your childhood? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, I, I'm born and raised uh, right in the heart of New York City and uh, grew up uh, right maybe five minutes away from Times Square. Uh, I was sleeping I, right in my window. I could see right outside was the entire Empire State Building. It looked like I could almost grab it. Um, and when the lights shut off, for the Empire State Building, it meant that it was very late. At that time, they, they used, to, used to shut the lights off at 2 o'clock in the morning. So usually that would be an indication for me to either go to bed or um, I'd been out way too late. <laughs> uh, and so, I, I, you know, it was definitely maybe an atypical way of growing up. I mean, I know when I tell people that I grew up right in the heart of Manhattan, that Times Square was my backyard. Um, it's very shocking, and I can certainly see why. Um, both of my parents are immigrants. They're both from France. Um, they both came here for a better life, uh, looking for work. I'm very blessed. They're both still alive. I'm going strong, and I'm very blessed to still have them um, very much involved in my life. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And they both were in the, the, the hospitality business, so I, I, I certainly uh, followed into their footsteps. And I loved every minute of it. I still love every minute of it. And I've never looked back. Um, it's an industry that has given me so much. Um, there, it's an industry where there's so much, um, so many different aspects to it, so many different layers. Um, and I love it. I just absolutely love everything about it. Yeah. And so pretty much by the age of 13 years old, I devoted uh, myself to being the best hospitalian I could be. And I kept at that route. I kept going, you know, I was going to school and and I was working at a lot of different jobs. At the age of 25 years old, I was in a car accident that left me permanently paralyzed from the waist down. 
And um, that was incredibly challenging to deal with, only for the fact that here I am, 25 years old. Um, I thought that my life was kind of set, right? I, I built up this incredible life for myself, but also I was really building the foundation to being you know, the best person I could be in my career. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden I was being told that I was going to be in a wheelchair, uh, for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. that I was paralyzed. And then immediately I started to think to myself, well, how am I going to work in a restaurant where it's so fast paced, uh, tables are on top of each other. Bottles of wine are always down in the basement and there's usually not an elevator. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't, you know, like a clear template of someone else in a wheelchair doing what, um, doing, working in a restaurant, right? There just wasn't usually, you know, you you might Google a subject and you'll find it. And I could tell you, you know, even in old three, obviously the internet was still fairly new. Mm -hmm. Um, but I couldn't find anything on anyone that, actually, you know, was, was on a wheelchair. They worked in the business yeah, and, um, could inspire me. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that Yannick, when I had, um, I had Ali Stroker join me, um, one of my first episodes and I asked her, I said, you know, I can't remember watching television through the years and I'm a bit older than she is. I can't recall too many, if any, folks that were in wheelchairs or disabled that were prominently featured on television or stage. And I asked her if she had any folks that she looked up to and she said she really didn't. And then it it made it all the more, um, you know, her job, she felt pressure almost because her being the first and the fact that she's won a Tony Award. So it sounds like you were kind of in the same boat, that there were really no people that you can recall that were in chairs or that were disabled, that were working in the hospitality business when you were coming up. That is exactly correct. Um, But I... Funny enough, I, when I when I when I first got injured, they gave me a book, and it was called United Spinal Network. And at that moment, I was sort of down and confused, and I just was full of anxiety. I didn't know what the future was going to 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 give me. And there was an article in that book. There were all these different articles about all these um, really fascinating individuals who were transitioning to their injury, or maybe they were born with a disability. But they were all stories that was quite uplifting and to show you that despite your disability, there, there weren't any limitations. It was really up to you to kind of fight through those obstacles. And there was this young woman who was in the picture. It was her with a tray on her lap with four glasses. And the story was about her being a waitress at Applebee's out in Utah. And so she was really the one that kind of inspired me. I still have not met her and I'd still love to meet her, mm-hmm. but she was the one that showed me that like, wow, if, if she's doing that in Applebee's, then there's still hope for me to work in a restaurant. So that really kind of like gave me some glimmer of hope actually. Yeah. Yannick, I understand, as you mentioned, your parents worked in the uh, hospitality and restaurant business. Did their work ethic rub off on you? and and oh. sort of push you in that direction that you wanted to continue in their footsteps? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my parents are, I mean, even now, 
um, you know, they're semi-retired, but they, they're always active. They're always busy. They're, they're not the type of people that sleep late or they're, you're going to catch them taking a nap during the day. Um, you know, it's just naturally ingrained within them to mm-hmm. just work hard. And so that definitely um, has carried over to me. And I think what really kind of pushed me to keep going was I couldn't ever accept the fact that if people came up to my parents and asked them, hey, how's your son Yannick doing? And, you know, they and then they would be forced to be in a position to just kind of answer, he's all right. He's just kind of staying at home and he's just uh, staying healthy and Mm -hmm keeping his head up. And, and that was something that I just could not accept. And I certainly didn't want, I wanted them to be proud of me. And even if I failed or, or just did terribly at trying to pursue my goal of whatever um, my objectives were, but at least they knew they were, I was giving it my all and that I was trying my best. Yeah. And that, that was the most important thing. And, and I, I, that, that was, that, that just kind of stayed with me. Absolutely. And I see that, um, you know, as you grew up and, and, and moved out on your own to, to work up the, up the food chain, as they like to say, mm-hmm. uh, at mm-hmm. places like Le Cirque and John George and Felidia. Yes. Tell us a little bit about those stops along the way. Right. For sure. I mean, I think the place that certainly had the biggest impact on my life and I, um, credit this gentleman with making me who I am today, because I certainly uh, looked up to him. His name is Sirio Maccioni. He uh, passed away uh, last year, um, but he really kind of introduced me to the world of, of uh, fine dining. Um, he hired me at a very young age. I was 18 years old. Um, I was working with individuals at this restaurant. This was an regular restaurant. What I mean by that is that everybody that worked at this restaurant all had hospitality, uh, degrees. Um, they had worked their entire life in hospitality. Um, you don't see that as much, but these were career waiters. You know, they were proud of it. They were making a good living. They all had families. So I was very much, I was significantly younger than the rest of these individuals and certainly not as experienced. But um, boy, did this guy, Sir Machoni, he had so much charisma. Mm-hmm. He just kind of had that it factor. And you know, I stayed there a couple of years, but I knew that like, you know, a lot of the things that I, that I've copied, I, I, you can say, or that I've learned and a lot of things that I've implemented on my way or what I built throughout the years is because of Le Cirque and because of Sarah Maccioni. Mm-hmm. Um, when I worked at Polidia, it was my first real kind of sommelier position job. And a sommelier is basically someone who works as a wine waiter, who recommends wines, who sells wine and other beverages also as well. And Lydia Bastianich, who um, is just a dynamic woman, um, uh, unbelievable, so much charisma as well. And she certainly has that it factor, really kind of introduced me to this world of Italian food. Italian wine and just it culturally um, of this wonderful world of Italy. Mm, I love um, watching so, her on TV. I've seen yeah, her she's unbelievable. Numerous yeah. times and oh, I wish I wish they did have smell-o-vision or I could just reach through because everything uh-huh, that she uh-huh, smell-o-vision yeah, exactly. everything that she prepares just always looks so delicious. So that's great that you've been able to take a little bit from all of the folks uh, that mm-hmm. you've worked with. I know you touched on it. Uh, I I really unfortunately don't know too much about wine. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, about what a 
sommelier is. Tell us a little bit more about what that's like and what makes a good one. Well, for me, you know, to be a to be a great sommelier, I think you have to have a lot of curiosity. You have to have a lot of passion, but all of that is not enough if you don't have desire. You have to have the desire to want to be the best at your craft. And if you have desire, then you're on the you're on the right. You're going in the right direction. This the, the other thing you have to have the ability or the desire to want to please the guest. You can know every single little thing about every wine in the world, but if you don't have those hospitality skills of making the guests feel welcome, comfortable, and and really creating a unique experience, um, then everything else is just kind of useless. So um, you have to be incredibly uh, passionate and you have to, to want to serve and you have to have the desire to want to succeed. And I think if you have all those components, um, I think you'll be very successful. Curiosity will take you a long way because the world of wine, the world of beverage, the world of food, the world of hospitality is constantly changing. So what you know yesterday is really irrelevant today. Um, so being complacent uh, will serve you no good mm-hmm. and you will just fall behind. Yeah. Now, I know you touched on it earlier um, about at 23 years old, um, the car accident that you were mm. in. Could you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that, the circumstances and, you know, what you remember in the immediate aftermath? Yeah, I think the one thing that I really remember the most and I, I always think about, well, not always, but it, when it does, is that unique feeling. It just felt like, I just knew right then and there that something was severely wrong. It was almost as if uh, I felt this magnetic pull, that same magnetic pull when you have a magnet being pulled by the refrigerator. And that, that I just felt that all over my, certainly below my belly button. And I just recall thinking to myself, like, no matter what happens, once I get to the hospital, and that my body will never be the same. And I didn't know if I was going to be permanently paralyzed at that time. I didn't know if it was going to be just one leg. I didn't know anything. But I knew that there were going to be some severe repercussions on what just happened at that car accident. Yeah. The second thing that really um, stays with me and kind of gives me a chip on my shoulder in the most positive way that that even makes sense. Um, I was now at this point a few hours after, you know, being poked and prodded by millions of doctors through the ER, CAT scan, MRI, you know, the whole shebang. Sure. Um, I was now in my bed kind of, it was my first time after like a few hours of just being able to have some time to myself. And my mom was to the right of me and I had fractured my ribs. So talking was quite difficult. Breathing was quite difficult and I didn't want to do any of that. So I just kind of just relaxed there, mm-hmm. trying not to think of anything. And I knew that something was very wrong. Um, finally, I had this young resident doctor, I guess, or whatever. And he seemed quite eager, seemed quite excited to tell me knew this news that he was about to tell me. And I remember as he was giving me his whole monologue and I said, oh, my God, he's going to say it. He's going to say that I'm not going to be able to walk again. Yeah. And my mom was right there. And I'm just trying to, like, please don't say it. Not now, not now. And it wasn't really 
I understand that he had to say, but it was just this eagerness and this excitement that he had. Yeah. And what I remember what he said specifically was, and the fact that you're a big, strong guy um, and you've taken good care of yourself is going to really help you. But unfortunately, you're never going to run a marathon. And I said, motherfucker, why the fuck would you say that? Let yeah. alone to my mom. And it, and then, you know, he saw my mom immediately burst into tears. And then, you know, at that time I had other friends, family outside and they heard my mom crying. It was just like a, a domino effect. And you could just see like, he just kind of like weaseled his way out of there slowly. He realized that his approach was not very good. And I always just thought like, why can't yeah. proper bedside manners exist anymore? And why can't there be some kind of form of hospitality? Because I always say hospitality, and if you shorten that word, it's hospital. So I think the greatest, you know, cure to anything is really proper hospitality, especially in medicine. Yeah, communication, right? I mean, communication. I, yeah, I've had a million doctors over the years, and uh, mm -hmm. I've sort of coined a phrase that some folks have have picked up on and laughed at. I, I would say that this doctor that gave you that news had the the bedside manner of a bedpan. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, why? It was almost as if he was gleeful. It sounds like, and so, um, yeah, you know, yeah. you just wanted to say, "All right, pal, get out of here." You know, I, I don't yeah. need to hear that. Take take off. I've got my family around me here. I basically know what you're going to tell me, but, uh, you know, you just can't wait to get it out. So then after that, Yannick, where did you rehab and, and how did that go? Did you really attack that? Yeah, I, I, I went to um, Mount Sinai, um, located on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. And um, really a tremendous crew. Not only that, but I happened to be um, in the same group of people that I'm still friends with. So there were a couple of guys who had been injured just about the same time, all different types, some acts of violence, some that fell, diving accidents, you name it. And we really developed a strong bond, but I was incredibly motivated to just kind of crush it and learn and challenge myself as much as possible. And I was really lucky to, to be surrounded by such great people. Um, I'm very thankful. Yeah, yeah. And as a Paris, someone that still had full use of your arms, hands and fingers and things like that. Correct. How soon did you start to think, I, I guess maybe you, you may have mentioned it earlier about that woman that worked at Applebee's, um, yeah. that, uh, that you, you thought that maybe working as a sommelier might still be in the cards. And uh, yeah. what were some of the adjustments that you made to make this happen again? Well, first off, I knew that I was going to have to find the opportunity to at least throw myself to the wolves. There were going to be a lot of errors, a lot of mistakes, some embarrassing for sure. But that's just the way you're able to grow and, 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 and improve yourself, you know. Um, just by kind of sitting back and just praying is not going to help very much, you know. And so um, I was very fortunate that when I had my car accident, I was working at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel and they had asked me, like, hey, whenever you want to come back, you can even come back work, working part-time. And I thought that was incredible because I think what I really needed to first do is learn how to navigate in a wheelchair, transfers, all that kind of stuff, learning to take the subway, um, buses, all that stuff. That really developed, and then I was out, out of work for a couple months, so really developing that kind of work stamina 
conditioning mm-hmm. and then just kind of um, the navigation of this new lifestyle, right? Yeah. Um, so that was really, really important. So, but, but me getting back to my goal of working as a sommelier it took years, you know, it wasn't like an overnight thing. I mean, there were just a lot of, um, there were a lot of things that needed to happen. And, um, of course what I did was I was able to create a, an adaptive tray that would hold my wine glass, my bottles of wine so I could fully work as a sommelier on the floor. That's awesome. Um, but it but it took time. It really did take time. Yeah. And when you first got back, did you almost feel like you had to work twice as hard as, say, an able-bodied person just so that, you know, people yeah. would, would look around and say, you know, hey, this guy can still do it. But you had to hump it just as harder than anybody else because you were in a chair at the time. That is correct. Um, and certainly, um, I think that a, a lot of times in life, you know, when you lose something or you lose a lot in your life, you, you don't take things for granted. And so I was certainly, um, ready, ready and willing to fight, but there were a lot of anxieties, right? I mean, I, you know, it's just like, Oh my God, what if I mess up, it's going to be more magnified because I'm, um, I'm on a wheelchair, so on and so forth, but it all worked out. I mean, I remember my first shift working as a sommelier, I was incredibly nervous um, full disclosure before my shift, I actually stopped by an Irish pub and had two beers. Right? <laughs> so, but, but, you know, it takes time. It, these things aren't overnight, unfortunately, and it, right. it's hard. And, but, but, you know, as long as you're surrounded by good people, everything else is secondary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yannick, how and when did you meet George Gallego and did having right. so much in common with him physically make working together a natural fit? Absolutely. Uh, George is a dynamic um, human being who's incredibly generous, very hardworking. Um, he, he calls himself or he refers to himself as a social entrepreneur. And I completely agree with that. I mean, he, gosh, the guy's got his hand in so many different things. He's always busy. I call him MacGyver. He's so good with his hands. He can fix anything, mm-hmm. create so many different things. But he was assigned to me when I was first injured back in 2003 as a mentor, and we kind of kept in touch. But it wasn't until a few years after that I, you know, I started to adjust to my new lifestyle that, you know, I reached out to him and I said, hey, man, I know you're an accomplished uh, para-athlete. Um, I was wondering if you could help me because I really want to get involved with doing marathons, you know, with the push rim. And so that's where we really kind of bonded. And then I was involved with nonprofit work, still still am, and, and so was he. And so we had that in common, and we started doing things together, you know, uh, social-based work. And, you know, he was starting to get on me in a positive way about, Yannick, I really think you should open up your own place, you know. And I just said, George, you have no idea what this business is all about. It is so difficult, you yeah. know. Yeah, sure. He was. He just was like, he, you know, being the guy that he is, he just didn't believe that I should be working for anybody else, or at least I should attempt. And he would tell me this repetitively, honestly. And finally, right, like, 50 feet away from where he lives at, there was this, you know, empty, abandoned storefront that he discovered, and he contacted me. And he said, I think there's something you might be interested in. We started to talk. Yeah. And that's how it all happened, really, pretty much. And that's the contento story. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was just going to say, how, uh, where did where did the idea come from? And then how long did it 
take to go from concept to conceive? Like when, when did you sort of start kicking around the idea um, to open the place? And then when did the doors actually open? I see it was 2021. Yeah. So the decision to like open, I mean, or to, to get involved had to happen very quickly. And then we had to think of a concept and the design. So there was a lot of thought that was put behind it. You know, first off, the design of the aesthetics, design for making it accessible, not just for the clients that would be disabled, but also for myself and George to be able to work in behind the bar. I mean, there were a lot of little things that, you know, we were trying to figure out. Sure. Which is certainly not an easy, you know, uh, challenge because the space itself was not big. The rent was incredibly generous, very inexpensive. It was a deal of a lifetime. Mm. But, you know, in an ideal world, you know, if you're going to create a perfectly designed, you know, ADA restaurant, you want as much square footage as possible, right? But sure. this is New York City. That's not the reality. And the bigger the place is, the bigger the overhead. Mm -hmm. And so that didn't work out that way, but we made it the best place that we could. I mean, I worked there, I, you know, sure. Does it have its challenges? Absolutely. But I think it's no different than anyone that would be able-bodied working anywhere else. They will tell you the same thing. Mm -hmm. and, but, you know, our first preview tasting of Contento Restaurant was on December 1st, 2019. And we had pretty much, you know, put on the calendar that we were going to open up sometime in March or April. Oh, great. Yeah. And then, um, and then the world changed. Then the world changed in March of 2020. The city was shut down, like the rest of the world and the United States. Yep. So we we could have opened, but if we but we we decided not to open, especially even in the fall of 2020, because restaurants had started opening up again. We were afraid that they would shut down the city once more. Mm -hmm. And if they shut down the city, if we just opened up, we would have lost all that momentum. Sure. So we hung on, hung on, and finally opened in June of 2021, on June 10th, 2021. And we haven't looked back. Unfortunately, um, there's been a, a, a little rise in, in, in infections here in New York City. And we did have to shut down mm -hmm. um, for a couple of days. And we're going to reopen um, on December 28th. It's certainly not the best time of year. No, uh, the last tough. two weeks were supposed to be our busiest time of year. This is the fourth quarter. It's the holidays. Yeah. Um, but this is what it is. Um, sure. We feel like we did the right decision. We want to protect our colleagues at work. We want to protect the people that come to the restaurant. And not only do we have people that have disabilities that come to the restaurant, but we also have people that, that have compromised immune systems. Sure, sure. So we have a responsibility to protect everybody. Mm -hmm. But... I think protect the vulnerable, but I think also the good thing, yes, we're, we're losing money, of course, but I think we can all go to sleep at night. Yeah, we're all in this together, right? We're all in this together. That's exactly right. Yeah. Correct. Tell us, Yannick, how the restaurant differs from others and is thus accessible for all, as you like to say. Tell us about, you know, some of the some of the differences that uh, that yeah, make it, uh, sure. you know, sure, unique. We do have a, a, well, one, we have a menu that's available in Braille. Uh, all our menus have a QR code too. That, so that, that really kind of um, applies to people from the low vision and blind community. Mm -hmm. uh, we have adaptive flatware um, upon request. So that it's available. It's, um, it's called, it's a company called Dining with Dignity. 
um, and, and beautiful silverware. It's not something that looks like it's from the hospital, right? Nice. Um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's really important. Um, we also, in the last uh, few months, we have offered, um, and we have made it mandatory, not just offered, mandatory, where we have sensitivity training. We had a gentleman named by, by the name of Peter Slayton, mm-hmm. who is a blind, and he was teaching us a whole course on etiquette on how to deal with people with all types of disabilities with a focus on how to deal with people with blind, mm-hmm. that are blind, excuse me. We also had a sign American uh, sign language class with uh, Professor Peter Cook from the University of Chicago, along with his associate, Laura Brown. Wow. Um, yeah. So those all those types of things really do go a long way. Sure. We have a bar that sits six people that's counter seating. So you and I, who are both full-time wheelchair users, can just roll up up there and have a drink. Um, there's no obstruction, mm-hmm. and we can eat and drink comfortably, like everybody else at the bar. Um, the tables are all are a little bit higher, so if you're you're taller and you're in a wheelchair, your knees are not going to bump into the table. They're, the bases of the table are flat, so there's no obstruction there. Um, all most of the stuff that we have in the bathroom is touchless. Uh, we have a, a a pocket door, so again. Um, are, you know, I want to. I do want to say one thing. I, you know, are we perfect? Definitely not. Mm-hmm. But we're always learning, because as you know, not every person with a disability is unique and different. Yeah. Has different needs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And even though we're lumped in in this category of sixty-one million Americans, but one doesn't have anything to do with the other. And I think that's really important. But the most important thing is that we're looking to evolve, and we're hearing, and we're. Everything that we've done so far is thoughtful and it comes from the heart. Absolutely. And that's and the bottom line. Yeah, you're looking to be inclusive. You'll hear when uh, when I send you a link to the to the finished podcast, I relate a story yep. on uh, how when I was first discharged from Kessler Institute here in New Jersey, um, mm. I went out to dinner with a friend of mine. And mm-hmm. uh, because my arms and hands don't work, I, I brought along a couple of mm-hmm. instruments that my OTs gave me. I had something called Dysum. I don't know if you know what that is. It's sort of a like a um, oh. rubber um, thing that goes underneath your plate so that the plate doesn't go flying. And I had a plate guard that goes on oh. the outside of the plate to, to in order for me to use my fork to push the food up right, against so right, that it would stay right, on there. Right. And uh, and the plate guard that I had was too small for the plate at, uh, at the restaurant. So it went flying across the table and goes the whole big scene. But yeah, I mean, there's people that, that have disabilities that, you know, they tell us no two injuries are the same. And so... No yeah. two disabilities are really the same. And the fact that you guys are trying to accommodate so many people, I think, is amazing because most places that we go to these days don't. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Now, well tell said. me tell me about um, being the co-founder and director uh, for the development of Wine on Wheels. What is that? And how has that sort of uh, benefited the disabled community as well? Well, one one great, I mean, I guess one great thing, I think there was... There's always positives, I think, I think through tragedy sometimes. And one thing is um, through the last two years, I've really come up with some really new ideas. And I look forward to um, this upcoming year. Wine on Wheels is going to have a really stronger emphasis on trying to help people with disabilities um, get work and employment in the hospitality sector. Um, and one of the things that we'll be doing is we'll offer some training classes um, to prepare them, wine, food, 
um, some technical classes, all of that stuff. Um, I'm very fortunate that I do have a pretty good platform, um, connections with people who are part of major companies. Um, I would like to see more employment of people with disabilities. So that, you know, Wine on Wheels is going to have more of a presence when it comes to that kind of stuff, more employment. Mm -hmm. The other thing too, is that to offer training to other restaurants, to other hotels, to other bars on how to better deal with people with disabilities that come in as a patron, but also how they can do a better job reaching over the aisle and trying to employ people with disabilities. And when they get them, how to deal with them and how to empower them to do better and improve every single day. Mm -hmm. That's that's really the objective of Wine and Wheels for the future. That's awesome. And do you sort of feel like, um, like we've talked about with, with Ali Stroker, do you sort of feel like a trailblazer in this? Uh, I see that you were recently chosen the Sommelier mm-hmm. Beverage Director of the Year at the Wine mm-hmm. Enthusiast 2021 Wine Star Awards. Uh, first yeah. of all, what does that mean? And how fulfilling is that for you um, as, you know, not only as a person, but someone who who's in a wheelchair? Mm. Well, um, I'm not going to BS you and say that um, I don't care about it, but I do. It, it's incredible to get recognized by your peers. But I also know that, you know, me getting that award and that recognition is an accumulation of my year's work and also all the people that have been behind me to support me and to assist me to get to that top of the mountain. And that top of the mountain is continuous. There's really no top of the mountain. It's like I'm, I'm still climbing. I'm still looking to get there. But that will never happen probably, which is great because that's how I should feel. Absolutely. Um, when, I, when, I, when I was awarded that, um, I certainly was over the moon. It's a well-respected uh, publication. I know the people um, that are behind that publication. Um, so it was really um, humbling. And then the people that were nominated are all individuals that I know that are incredibly good human beings. Um, so... The fact that I was selected, um, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm truly, truly blessed. Um, but it, it required a lot of hard work. Um, but it's even better, I think, now because it does give me a platform. Yeah. And hopefully other people with any kind of other disability, whether it's blind, deaf, intellectual, mm-hmm. you name it, hopefully they'll see that someone like myself, full-time wheelchair user, if I can do it, they can certainly do it. And hopefully more people will see that and they'll reach out to me and I will gladly help them and assist them with whatever they need because so much, so much has been given to me. The least I can do is give it to others and pay it forward. Absolutely. And along those lines, you mentioned uh, when we spoke about George Gallego earlier being such an athlete, tell me about your career as a marathoner. Uh, when, when did you sort of take that on and um, how fulfilling is it for you to complete them? Well, you know, I, I enjoyed, especially early on in my career, I was doing a lot of them in my push rim racing chair. And it was, you know, it was, you know, it's not an easy sport to get into. It's quite complex. Um, and there, there were certainly some challenges, but there, there was a time where I, I was just like loving it. And, you know, a couple of years later, you know, you get a little older you get a little slower, sure. you get a little heavier. Yeah. Content, right? You get, yeah, 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 soft. exactly. And so, and I was, I was, um, I was just most of, I, I, 
there was a point where I was really trying to break my own personal records and all that. And then finally, you know, I was doing them just to do because it was just something to look forward to. And also, but most importantly, I was running to raise money and awareness for the charity that was a, that I was a part of. Mm-hmm. And that was all exciting. But I, I did my very last marathon um, on the 50th anniversary of the New York City Marathon. It was my 10th one that I had completed. Wow. And I crossed the finish line with George Gallego. And uh, we raised a tremendous amount of money. And I said, that's great. I am finished. I am retired. I'll never do it. It was painful. It was hard this year. I, I have to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and I will not, I'll never do it again. Unless someone like some crazy person offers me <laughs> X amount of money for a charity, then I'll have to reconsider. But yeah. that's it. Yeah. Your, your days of marathoning are over. My days of marathoning are over. I think it's a, it's, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have finished it or ended it any better. And I think, you know, again, crossing the finish line with my mentor mm-hmm. on the 50th anniversary on my 10th one for New York. Thank you. I'm good. Uh, Yannick was, was doing a marathon prior to your accident. Was that uh, something that, that appealed to you? Did you do, were you a runner? Did you, uh, yeah. did you entertain the idea? Did you do any of them or is it all uh, post accident? Yeah, I was, I was definitely a, a very big athlete. Um, I really took really good care of myself, worked out a lot. Um, I did run. I wasn't a big runner, um, but I did run. But I was mostly a guy that went to, I mean, I, I would work out twice a day at the gym and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The whole um, marathon um, goal came after my car accident, okay. to be quite honest with you. Okay. But uh, I don't think I ever thought about doing a marathon before my accident. Mm-hmm. Speaking of working out at the gym, tell us about the Axis Project. It sounds really cool. First of all, explain what it is, and then how can people yeah. with physical disabilities find out more about it and benefit from it? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, the Axis Project is uh, is really the uh, the baby of the George Gallego. It's a wellness physical fitness center that it's a concept that he created a few years ago, um, and up until. COVID was incredibly busy. Um, so many different people with disabilities. And what was really beautiful about it, it, it had people with disabilities who, who had been in their situation for a very long time, but never worked out um, because they just, didn't, they just didn't believe that they could actually go to a gym and work out. But here they would come to a place where there was trainers that knew how to deal with them, um, equipment that... Um, was was uh, adaptive to what they needed sure um and then they were amongst their peers which is like great and so instead they would work out for whatever 30 minutes to two hours and then they would just hang out because they were um they were amongst their peers they had all these common denominators and so it would motivate them some of them were starting to go back to school some of them even went back to work because these other individuals they were all pushing each other so it was a really beautiful thing the COVID came around, so it put a stop on all of that. Right. But I'm happy to say that there's going to be a new reincarnation of the Access Project that's going to reopen in Manhattan, not too far from Contento. It's going to be on 118th and 3rd. Hopefully, it'll be open sometime in spring, but it's being built right now. It's going to be amazing. Mm. Um, and if you need more information on that, you can just, you can either email me or you can look me up on Instagram, whatever the case is, um, or Facebook, Yannick Benjamin, and I will respond immediately or as soon as I can. 
and get you all the exact information that you may need. It's it's really an amazing concept because I can remember, um, you know, talking over with with my uh-huh. buds that I was in uh, rehab with, and we thought, you know, this was back in the in the early '90s, and that's when you uh-huh. know Jack Lalane was still around. And yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. I used to be a lifelong member, and it's not like you know, here I am, I can just about walk mm. and I have really no use of my yeah. arms and stuff. I can't yeah. just like go to Jack LaLanne and, and get on, uh, you know, the, the treadmill. I mean, I'd fall off. I would need somebody to yeah. be there. So yeah. something like this for people with, with a myriad of, of disabilities is such yeah. a home run for people because they yeah. really don't have anywhere to turn when, once they get out. Well, I completely agree with you. I'm not sure why it's taken so long for anything like this to, to, have, had, to, to have had happen, but, George really has taken the initiative. He himself, who's an, an accomplished athlete, and again, I think the most important thing about him is um, generosity. Yeah. Um, um, hopefully, you know, things will get better with this whole pandemic. Mm. And when the Access Project opens, that other people see how imperative and how important this is. It's not just about people working out, but what it really does to them from an emotional standpoint and how it changes their life and how it just really forces them to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. It would be and great if, that, if places yeah. like this could, if branches could open in, in exactly. many cities because, exactly. you know, there's exactly. folks like us are all over the place. As you mentioned, there's thousands Correct. of us out there and, oh, and Correct. You know, it's it's sort of a place where it sounds like they could all come together in, in a common bond and train together and work out together and not Correct. have to feel, uh, you know, Correct. squeamish about going somewhere because they have something wrong with them. That's awesome. Exactly. Uh, and I'm going to definitely follow up with all that Thank and you. make sure that uh, to keep all that in mind. So I have two questions left for you, and I really appreciate Yannick Benjamin joining me for all this time. First uh, of all, since you're involved in a zillion different things, what is next for you? What What's the next best thing? What's the project that you see on the horizon for yourself? You know, you, I get asked this question a lot, and I think uh, a, a lot of people um, get asked the same thing too. But sometimes, you know, what about we just focus on what's now, what's actually tangible, you know? Um, and I try to do that. Um, I don't know if I, you know, besides trying to create this one on wheels, uh, project in the future. And there's all these ideas that I do certainly have. But I think that one thing that the pandemic has taught me and all this craziness and this this time of uncertainty is to live in the moment, um, focus on what you have now. Yeah. Don't take anything for granted. And then just spend as much time as I can with my wife and my beautiful dog. That's awesome. Stay in the here and now, right? That's right. Exactly. Well said. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and finally, um, a question that um, I came up with. It's a funny story. I was waiting in the waiting room to see my mm. doctor, and and a buddy of mine was with me. He he was two years ahead of me in high school. Unfortunately, he had a a, ter- a terrible spinal cord accident as well. Two mm. two guys that were tight in high school, and now we meet wow. again, and we're unbelievable. Yeah, so we're waiting there, and there's a whole line of folks that were waiting as well. So I didn't realize I was talking so loud, but I just said to him, I said, Hey T, if I could snap my fingers right now, what's the, and you'd be able-bodied again, what's the first thing you would do? And he paused Mm. for 
a second, and I heard from behind me a guy said, I'd go out in my garage and do my woodworking again. I heard a woman say, I'd go out and garden. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is something right, that's right. resonating with yeah, people. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I'll put the question to you, and, and all answers are different. And uh, so if I could do that right now, and you would be completely able-bodied again, what's the first thing that Yannick Benjamin would do? Oh my gosh, that's a, that is the, one of the best questions um, someone has ever asked me. My God, I think I would uh, put on a pair of rollerblades because I just had a dream yesterday of me playing roller hockey. Um, I played, I was a big ice hockey kid, but I first started playing roller hockey. Um, grew up with a bunch of crazy Irish kids in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> and we had some really amazing, there was a great league. Um, you know, it was very intense. I mean, they beat the shit out of, of me as a kid <laughs> uh, really rough but fun fun stuff only good memories yeah but i think i would i would put on rollerblades and just skate through central park like a beast yeah with a big smile on your face right with with a massive smile on my face oh, yeah oh boy one of these days one of these days right yeah, look, God willing, man. God willing. Well, Yannick Benjamin, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. What a great joy it has been to to read about you and to learn about you and all that you're thank doing, you. Um, you know, for your business and for the disabled community. It's it's amazing. It's truly inspirational. And I, I thank you so much for carving out some time. If you could, please give out some of your um, social media handles so that uh, so that yes. my listeners could uh, could find out more about you and the projects that you're working on. Absolutely. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Yannick Benjamin, Y-A-N-N-I-C-K-B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N, at Yannick Benjamin. And you can also find me at that same name on Twitter and on Facebook as well. Um, if you want to reach out to me directly, my email is Yannick, Y-A-N-N-I-C-K, at ContentoNYC.com. C-O-N-T-E-N-T-O-N-Y-C.com. Awesome. And I look forward to once this bloody pandemic is is back in check again, or hopefully one day behind us, I would love to come out to Contento and enjoy a meal with you. And uh, oh, I'll please. even, if, I'll, I'd love to sample some wine. As I said, I'm not a big wine drinker, but I'll, I'll mm -hmm. leave that up to you to bring, uh, to bring over a glass of wine or so. And we could uh, cheers to that. And the fact that um, we're doing great work for, for a lot of folks. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you do. So, so it was a, it's a real pleasure. And just like that, the final Quadcast episode of the year has come to an end. Once again, I want to thank Yannick Benjamin for coming on and doing so much for the disabled community. It's people like him who look out for their fellow man that make the biggest differences in this world. I look forward to meeting you in person someday, Yannick, and having a delicious meal at Contento sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, as always, to my Mixmaster General, Chris Perepesco at Harbor Picture Company. I appreciate your making this sound so professional. And I want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and a happy and, most importantly, healthy New Year. I look forward to speaking with you in 2022. Hey, that rhymes. <laughs> Until then, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time. I don't care.